scripture in Proverbs 29 and verse 18. Proverbs 29, verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. <laughs> people that love God's law, people that love God's will, people that love God, according to this, is happy. If you don't have any vision, he says you perish. My goodness, I don't want to perish because I've lost my vision or lost my love for God and his laws. Everybody say, I love God. Everybody say, I love my church. Everybody say, I love my friends. Because I'm going to tell you, if we can't say that, we're in violation of God's law. If we can't love each other, we're in violation of God's law. If I can't look at you and say, I love you, I got a problem. Well, Brother Gandhi, they may have a problem. Well, forgive them. Get over it. Bible didn't say forgive them if you like them or forgive them if you agree with them. What did he say? Pray for those that love you and are your best friend. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Do bad things against you. Lie on you. Tell stuff. Do things behind your back. Or the Lord say, punch them in the right cheek until they turn the other cheek. Is that what he said? He said, pray for them. And you might pray for yourself while you're praying for them because I'm going to tell you, if that happens, you're going to have to pray for yourself. You're going to have to pray for your spirit, your attitude, that I will be able to forgive them. And I'm preaching and I'm not even on my subject. I'm preaching today vision in action. Everybody say vision in action. It doesn't matter what your vision is if you're not acting on it. It doesn't matter what I get up and say. I scream out, we're going to have revival. And if we're not careful, that gets just to be a cliche or a slogan. You know, we're going to have a move of God. We're going to have revival. Everybody wants revival. We say we want revival. We scream amen when the preacher says that. But I'm going to tell you, revival comes with a price. If you're going to have revival, you're going to have to pay a price. It's uncomfortable a lot of times. If we doubled our church, we'd be crowded this morning. You think about it. There's only about 80, 81 people here right now. All of us are not here. But if we double just what's here right now, we would be in violation of the six-foot rule. We would have problems meeting that in any way. And some of you might not like it. Getting, not getting to sit in your special spot or park where you can park where you like to park. We all do it. We all park in the same spots. We sit in the same spots. Very few of us change. Most of us sit right in the same spot we always sit. We're creatures of habit. But I'm going to tell you, revival changes all of that. And if you can't change with revival, I said if you can't change with revival, you've got a problem. Because revival is growth. Everybody say, I want to grow. God bless you. Worship the Lord one more time before you're seated. Oh, I praise you, God. I praise you, God. Amen. Amen. One more time, I want to say thank you, Brother Andrew and Brother Ariel Diaz for taking the lights out of my eyes.
I am so happy with Gary helping us out on the spotlights and these lights up here. They were killing me for years, and now I have been set free from that. I am free from the bright lights, but we still have good. Is my quality good? Did y'all, anybody look at me on, on the film? Did I look good on the film? Okay, that's what we got to do. I got to look good on the film because when I start looking bad, we got problems. <laughs> that's supposed to be funny, but how could I look bad on the film anyway? It didn't, you know. The most hopeless people in the world are people who recognize that they have a problem but have no vision from God about how to solve that problem. Everybody ends up somewhere in life, but a few people end up somewhere in life on purpose. Those are the ones with visions, people that get somewhere are usually people of vision. The most practical advantage of vision is it sets a direction for our lives and it serves as a roadmap for our lives. Vision provides the push through the problems of life. Vision provides the energy for the effort. And without vision, our passion will leak out. Our agendas start surfacing instead of God's agenda. And our production will fall. And our people will scatter if we don't have vision. Where there's no vision, no profit. To expound the law. No priest or Levite. To teach the knowledge of the Lord. No means of grace. The word of the Lord becomes scarce. And there's no open vision. Where this is so and where this is happening. I'm telling you the people will perish. Churches will dry up. People will die spiritually if they lose their vision. I want you to give me just a little bit of monitor, if you would, Brother Gary. The definition of vision is the fault, faulty of sight, the unusual foresight, or the experience of the supernatural as if it were with the eyes. John Maxwell said, vision is the ability to see. It is awareness. The faith to believe, which is our attitude. And the courage to do, which is our action. George Barna says, vision for ministry is a reflection of what God wants to accomplish through you to build his kingdom. God still uses men and women to do his will. It is the will of God for us to be in tune with God and to be able to hear his voice. And if we're not careful, we can go to sleep in the last days and not be hearing what God is trying to say to the church. I still believe that God is speaking to people in this day that we're living in. I still believe that God is trying to get us to be sensitive and aware of what's going on in our world and love people enough that we would involve ourselves in their lives and try to show them the light and get them on track to what God has for them. I'm telling you folks, we've got a gift that is powerful. We've got a, 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 an experience that is real. It is life changing and we need to start getting excited about it again. 
Somebody needs to get fired up about the Holy Ghost and realize how precious and how powerful and how real it is in our lives today. Amen. If we're not careful, we forget what God brought us out of and kept us from. We forget how wonderful it is to feel the peace of God and all of the benefits that God gives us while we're living for Him. I cannot go to sleep in the last days. I've got to wake up with a new fire and a new vision and a new enthusiasm. It's time to get our mind off of the fearful things of this world and start using our faith again like we've never used it before. The devil loves what's happened to our world recently. He loves for us to uh, hear fear from every avenue of media. You cannot turn on anything without the fear being portrayed about what's going on in our world today. And I'm telling you this, that God is not the author of fear. He's not the director of fear. He's not the inventor of fear. He's not uh, the one that's spreading fear. He is the uh, powerful, mighty God that gave you a sound mind and a pure heart and right thinking. He gave you victory in the, in the life that you were living. He brought you out of sin and set you free from iniquity and somebody ought to be excited about that and you ought to be awake and giving him thanks and praise for what he's done for you. Amen. It's time to get excited afresh and new about the Holy Ghost. We're too quiet about the Holy Ghost. We're not telling people enough about the Holy Ghost. If your Holy Ghost don't have you excited, maybe you get a, need to get another dose of it. There's something down inside of me that's saying it's real. It's real. I know it's real. It's a powerful experience. Everybody needs it, and they're not going to get it if we don't show it to them. We've got to be telling our world. In Acts chapter 10, we see vision in action. There was a certain man in verse 1 in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Notice his requirements. He was a devout man, one that feared God with all of his house, which gave much alms to the people. And he prayed to God always. And he wasn't even Pentecostal. I said he wasn't even Pentecostal. Didn't even have the Holy Ghost. And he prayed more than a lot of us Pentecostals pray. Everybody say, oh me. You might as well say it. It's the truth. He saw a vision. Evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid. And I would have been too. And he said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, and he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And in verse 10... Peter went up on the housetop to pray. You notice both of these men are having visions and both of them are praying. It appears to me that vision comes to praying people. If you want God to speak to you, you got to speak to Him. You got to be able to listen to God and you got to be able to communicate with God. Peter went up on the housetop to pray and it was about the sixth hour. If you want God to give you a vision, the best place 
is to be in prayer. Many people want God to use them, but they don't want to pray. God will never, everybody say never, tell you anything contrary to his word. Anyone who's running down God's church or God's people, you're out of order. You're out of God's will. You're on the verge of backsliding. God does not give anybody a revelation or an insight against his teachings, against his church, and against the laws of God. If someone is condemning or finding fault and being critical against the church, it is always coming from a carnal, non-praying, backsliding individual. And if somebody's griping to you and complaining, I can't understand why anybody would pray or complain about me. But if anybody's doing it, you just be understanding to, and listening to me. They got a bad spirit. Because you can ask my wife. I don't have any faults. I'm just joking. I don't want to count them. I don't want to start a list. And I'm, I'm afraid how that list might get too long. And I sure don't want it to be a bestseller. I don't want it to be public is what I'm saying. But if anybody's running your church down, they're trying to kill your vision. You better not listen to them or they will poison you. Peter was praying and God gave him a vision. In verse 14, Peter didn't understand the vision and he wanted to argue about it. He did not understand what God was doing. And so he just wanted to argue with God. The Lord told him, slay and eat. And he said, oh, not so, Lord. I'm a Jew. I don't eat that stuff. The law says I can't do that. So he wanted to argue with his vision. In verse 17, it says, Peter doubted his vision. In verse 19, Peter thought on his vision. He began to think about it and ponder it. He was wondering what in the world is going on. What is God trying to do? And I believe that any time that you have a vision, you ought to probably take these steps. You ought to pray about it. You ought to try to understand it and question it. You might even doubt it. You might even think on it. But the last thing that he did in verse 34, Peter acted on his vision. And we can have vision. And we can brag about vision. We can even write our vision on the walls for everybody to read. But honey, if we don't get vision in action, it doesn't matter what we say our vision is. We've got to put it in action. If we're going to be a praying church, let's pray. If we're going to be a godly church, let's be godly. If we're going to be a revival church, let's have revival. If we're going to brag about what God's doing, let's start seeing it happen because a vision is no good unless you put it in action. The Lord got dealing with me about that at the first of the year. And... That's when we had this sign made. Thank you, Sister Debbie. She's going to redo it. You say, well, we're tired of it. Well, you just hang in a little longer and get, get some money out of your pocket, and you won't have to see that anymore. We went, we had a 15-year loan. The bank we did only did 15-year loans, and we had a, a balloon note. That means it comes due. And that's, they're not threatening you. They're not going to sue you. They're not going to take your property. It's just they have policies. They only go 15 years. And all you got to do is at, the, at that time say, all right, I still owe this amount. I'd like to refinance. And that's what we did. We put $40,000 out of our savings. We had 50. I think we got about 54 now. 
and we put 40 down, wasn't that right? 40,000 down. So that brought that 87. We're down to $39,000 on that building. We owe 39,000. And you remember pastor said, I got a vision. I want to see this building paid off this year. Do you know we already have done it? I said, we've already half paid it off. And I'm not fixed to take an offering. Don't stop breathing hard. Don't, don't, don't get nervous here. I'm not about to take an offering. I'm just telling you, I got a vision. I want to get that thing paid for. That's just one of the visions I have. I have a vision of us having people baptized every week in this baptistry tank in the name of Jesus Christ. I got a vision of seeing people filled with the Holy Ghost in our church every service. I got a vision of having healing pour out in such a way that people hear about it. They come to church in wheelchairs and crutches because they find out that God is in the healing business. I got a vision of this church growing. I'm telling you, this is nothing what God wants to do if we can ever get our vision in action. Amen. I'm not just talking about growing just to have a number to brag about. I'm growing the kingdom of God. We're getting people into heaven. We're getting them ready to meet God. And that's what it's all about. And I believe we got men and women that are trained and ready. We've got people that can carry the load in this church. We got people that have the ability. We have people that can do what needs to be done. We just got to get it in action. We got to start seeing it because God wants it as much and more as we do. And so Peter opened up his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. I'm glad he got that vision. I wouldn't want to read much on Peter if he didn't have that vision. Because if you become a respecter of persons, that's prejudice. And that has no place in the kingdom of God. Verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. Verse 47, he said, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And in verse 48, he commanded them. I like that verse. He commanded them. You say, well, I don't think a preacher ought to do that. I don't, I don't think church ought to be demanding. I think everybody ought to just love everybody. Love everybody. Love everybody. Commanded him. Stand up, Brother Young, right now. Stand up. See, I commanded him to do it. He did it. Not because he's scared of me. He ain't a bit scared of me. In fact, I'm more scared of him than he knows. I mean, you just look at him upside me. I'm not stupid. You know why he stood up? Because he knew I was preaching. and He's already been on some of my illustrations before. He's already been the blunt of it. And he just sits at the wrong spot. And he stood up. I thank you for standing up. But I commanded him to stand up and he stood up. No, I don't do that. I'm not one of those pastors. I'm not a commanding, demanding pastor. I don't go around telling people what to do. People want advice from me. I'm reluctant to give it because I may give them advice and it may not turn out good. I don't want that on my resume. And so I don't go around telling people what to do. We're nice. But I want to get people to say, man, you need to look what the Bible says. In the book of Acts, they received the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak in tongues as the sign or the evidence that they received the Holy Ghost. And every one of them got baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. 
And that's what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 3. When he was explaining that you must be born again of water and of spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. And I looked there and Peter commanded him. Sometimes I just kind of think, maybe I'm too soft. Stand up, Brother Young. I ought to be more demanding. Slap your wife. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, I, I, I had to stop that because I know you wanted to. But Peter commanded them. He didn't say, well, go home and pray about it and think about it. And, you know, I, I don't want to offend you. I, you know, I mean, the Lord loves you and uh, we want to have a good unity in our church and, and all that. But uh, we, we, we baptize people here. Uh, now, I mean, we could probably do it another way. I mean, we could sprinkle you if you're afraid to go in the water. Uh, we, we could do it different. Uh, if you don't like what we say over you, we'll say what you want us to say because we want you to be a member. You know, I mean, we're, we're trying to get you in the kingdom of God. Well, honey, if you want to go to heaven, you better do what heaven wants you to do to go to heaven. Jesus made it very clear through a man of God that he said, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. He gave him the keys and those keys were expressed on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.38 when Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and we ought not to be afraid or ashamed or embarrassed about that message we ought to have boldness and we ought to say stand up brother young you're fixed to get baptized <laughs> we won't do it like Peter did Peter just looked at him and said, hey, God sent me over here. God gave me a vision. God showed me what you need. And he started preaching to them. And when he got through, he said, I command you to be baptized in Jesus' name. I don't read where there was any argument. I don't read where there was any bad attitudes. I don't read where there was a church split. I don't read where they got ready to vote Peter out. I read that they willingly were baptized in his name. They had received the power of the Holy Ghost. They were on their way to heaven. The Gentiles had the gospel preached to them. And received it. And it all started with a vision. With a vision. From 1762 until 1800, all the land from Canada to the Gulf of Mexico and from Mississippi River went all the way to the Rocky Mountains. It belonged to Spain. This vast wilderness was known as the Louisiana Territory. By 1800, Napoleon Bonaparte concluded a treaty with Spain to return Louisiana to France. President Thomas Jefferson had a vision of this land becoming part of the United States. One day in April 1803, the French foreign minister, Talleyrand, stunned as Ambassador Livingston by asking him, what will y'all give for the whole of Louisiana? And by April 30th, an agreement had been negotiated with the United States agreeing to assume all the claims against France by the United States citizens with interest, and the total selling price was $27 million 
$267,000. The new territory was compromised of 828,000 square miles, doubled the size of the United States, and it had been purchased at a cost of three cents an acre. What a buy. The land included states like Louisiana, Missouri, Arkansas, Iowa, North and South Dakota, Nebraska, Oklahoma, large portions of Kansas, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, and Minnesota. President Jefferson presented the U.S. Senate this idea and this, this contract, and it was ratified, and they purchased it. And this was considered the greatest bargain in American history, and all because someone had a vision. What if we had not bought that Louisiana territory? I would have to, when I go see relatives in Louisiana, I'd have to have a visa. They wouldn't let me carry my Glock. And a lot of stuff would have, would have been horrible if somebody hadn't had a, a vision. We must have a vision for great things in our future or we'll perish. Vision is the ability to see. It's awareness. Webster says it's the faculty of sight, unusual foresight, a mental image produced by the imagination, the experience of the supernatural as if with the eyes. Are we an optimist or a pessimist about our future and about our vision? I read a lot of things about people that are optimists or pessimists. I read one schoolboy who brought home his report card and it was filled with very poor, low grades. And his father looked at him and he said, what have you got to say about these grades? And that boy looked at his father and he said, Dad, one thing you can be proud of is that you know that I have not been cheating. I'd say that's pretty optimistic. Our vision has got to be optimistic. Both the hummingbird and the vultures fly over the nation's deserts. But all vultures see is rotting flesh because that is what they look for. They thrive on that diet. But hummingbirds ignore the smelly flesh of dead animals. Instead, they look for colorful blossoms of desert plants. The vultures live on what used to be, what was. They live on the past. They fill themselves with what is dead and gone and history. But hummingbirds live on what is. They seek new life. They fill themselves with freshness and life. Each bird finds what it's looking for. And we humans do the same thing as those two birds that I just mentioned. Second Chronicles 16 and 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to show himself strong for those whose hearts are completely his. What we need is a God-sized vision. God-sized vision says beyond what is possible. Whatever, it goes beyond the natural. Whatever is physical or whatever is temporal. God-sized vision relies on the power of God to achieve uh, the unthinkable, to harness, uh, harness the spiritual and touch the untouchable and affect the eternal. We have an incurable imagination. Our eyes are an incredible. Our eyes can take a four million bytes of information every second. And the moment we take it in, our imagination processes it. 
and forms a 3D color picture and then immediately puts it into motion. We all think in pictures. If I say something like this, big black dog, your mind just showed you, those words just showed you a picture. And you're looking at a big black dog right now, even though I don't have one to show you. I told you about it, and your mind shows you a big black dog. Every one of us in our imagination has a picture of ourselves, our family, our future. How we see ourselves in the, is the way that we're going to become. You will never rise any higher than the image that you have of yourself. You will never accomplish anything that you first do not see yourself accomplishing. Walt Disney created the most popular tourism attraction on earth. In 1998 was one of the, uh, probably the years that the most people came. 42 million people went through Disney World theme park that year. It sits on 43 square miles. But Walt Disney died before it ever opened. And on October the 1st, 1971, at a grand opening ceremony, someone turned to Miss Walt Disney, and they said, Isn't it a shame that your husband couldn't live to see this? And Miss Disney looked at her and said, Oh, he did see that. He saw this. And that's the reason we're standing here today, because he did see it. Remember, God's vision for your life is twofold. God has a vision for what he wants you to accomplish. And God has a vision for what he wants you to become. Vision is the bridge between the past and the future. It's the eye of faith to see the invisible. Vision is adopting an action plan that will enable you to do what God has told you to do spiritually for Him in service. Vision is the inward fire that enables you to communicate to others what the future could be like. Vision is a sanctified dream of the future. It's a foresight with the insight on a hindsight. Vision is the ability to sense God's presence, to perceive God's power, and to focus on God's plan in spite of the obstacles. Some of you may be thinking, Pastor, why should I bother listening to this message? Why should I be a visionary? I'm not, I'm just an ordinary person with an ordinary job and an ordinary family. I think God would disagree with you today. Your ability to dream and to imagine is a God-given ability that He has given you in order to reach your maximum potential. I believe God would have us to know today that vision is a character trait that can be simulated and developed in each and every life in this building. Don't allow others to cloud your vision. What do I mean? You can't soar with the eagles as long as you're pecking around with the chickens. Proverbs 13 and 20 says, If you walk with the wise men, then you're going to become wise. If you associate with spiritual, successful people before long, you're going to become spiritual and you're going to become successful. If you hang around with people of faith before long, you're going to be filled with faith. 
If you show me your friends, I can show you your future. Be careful of so-called friends who try to get you to do things or think things or say things you know is wrong. Be careful of friends who talk about others or send you text messages that stir up strife. Be careful of friends who criticize your church or your leadership or people who criticize and find fault and talk negatively. Uh, They're not really your friend. Because if somebody is pulling you down, they're killing your vision. They're, they're destroying what God is trying to build and, and energize in every one of us. And that is our vision. Helen Keller was once asked, what would be worse than being born blind? To which she replied, having sight without a vision. What a profane statement by a woman who was born into this world, deaf, dumb, and blind. She could not help how she came into this world, but she made up her mind, I'm not going to stay this way. I'm going to change what I can. Pastor Gandhi still believes that this church has great things in our future. When we came here 31 years ago, we had eight voting members, a small building, a small parsonage. There wasn't much going on in Tyler, Texas at that church. But we had a vision. I saw what this church could become and I still see it. I still believe it's going to be greater than it is. I believe that the church has potential. Our city is ripe and God has the power. We've seen many people get born again in these 31 years. We have seen many come back to God that needed to change in their life. We've seen people grow and mature and we've seen this church grow and leaders have been born and I still have a vision for what God wants to do with this church. This church is still alive. It's still real. And I believe the vision is alive and is real. And I want you to stand to your feet if you feel that way today. I want you to stand and I want you to throw up your hand and I want you to ask God, would you help my vision? Would you wake it up? Would you stir it up? Would you let it be active in my life? I don't want to sit around and twiddle my thumbs and think about how it ought to be and how I wish it would be and how it used to be. I want to start looking at my future as how it's going to be. I want to make up my mind that I'm going to make things happen. I'm going to make things happen in the future. I'm going to pray it through. I'm going to believe God and we're going to see great things happen. God wants us to have miracles. He wants us to have deliverance in our church. He wants us to be free. He wants us to be set free from anything that would hinder us. But we got to see it. We cannot be blinded by our flesh and by the devil, by the spirits that are fighting against the church. Not just this church, I said the church. There are spirits that are fighting our church. There are people that don't want to get on board. They don't want to pray. They don't want to have revival, but they want to hinder others from it. I rebuke that spirit if it's in our church. I bind that spirit. If you're not wanting revival, if you're not wanting growth, I can't make you, but please don't find fault, don't criticize, and don't try to harm those that are. We're going to move forward. In Jesus' name, we're going to move forward. In Jesus' name, we're going to grow. In Jesus' name, there's going to be signs and miracles and wonders in the church. In Jesus' name, we're going to see things that's going to wow people. There's going to be things to happen that's going to be talked about in this city. Because we got vision. We're believing God's going to do some great things. 
And if I stop believing, I lose my vision. If I stop praying, I lose my vision. If I start griping and complaining and murmuring what the children of Israel did, you lose your vision. And once you lose your vision, you're dead. You cannot be what God wants you to be if you lose your vision. So I'm asking everybody. I'm pleading with you. Let's get our vision stirred up. Let's get it renewed. Let's get it alive. Let's get to where we know we need to be. If you need to find a place in your home, a closet, or you need to come up here at this church, most all of our members have a key, and if you're a member and you want one, I'll make that available to you. If you want to come up here and pray, we'll never keep you from that. If you don't feel comfortable praying at your house and you want to come up here, hey, this is your church. You can do that. But wherever you go, whatever you do, you need to be praying, God, help my vision. I've got a vision. As pastor of this church, I've got a vision. My wife's got a vision. You personally have a vision. All of our visions may not be the exact same thing, but it's got to be going the same direction. We got to be on the same page. If you don't, disunity, disharmony comes in. And that's the devil's business. That has never been God's business. Disunity will destroy churches. And that's why we've got to stand firm and not allow it. If anybody opens your mouth, their mouth to you in running down, complaining, fault finding about anything negative about this church, you need to stop right now and say, look, I love you, but we're not going there. I love you, but we're not going to talk like that. Now, I can't make you not talk like that, but I'm telling you, if you're going to talk to me, we're not going there. And that only works when you get some boldness to look people in the eye and say, oh, no, I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to rebel. I'm not going to get a bad attitude and a bad spirit. I'm not going to run anybody down. I'm not going to question this message. I am not going to talk bad about God and his kingdom. You've got to get your vision right. If you don't, what do you do when you can't see? You go blind. Ever so often, and it's time right now, I need you to remind me. I wear glasses. Wish I didn't. Hate them. They fog up. They get dirty. They fall down on your nose when you start sweating. They're just a pain. Well, I don't like not wearing them. I can't see. I, I do this and I can see you, but I can't tell who you are. You're, you're blurry. I don't like blurry people. I like for you to be in focus. <laughs> but every once in a while, about every two years, I got to go get re-examined. I'd recommend you don't go that long spiritually. I recommend that you don't examine yourself. Don't wait two years to check yourself out. But every two years, I get my eyes checked. And I've heard them say things like, uh-huh. When they do that, you know there's a problem. Say, are you having problems seeing? Duh, why do you think I'm here? You know? And they will give me a new prescription. And I'll turn it in and go back a few hours later and I'll put on those new glasses. Everything's back in focus. I'm seeing better because I got examined and changed the prescription. What we need to do is take a good look on the inside of our heart, our mind, our soul, our spirit. And we need to re-examine and maybe get a new prescription. Get back in focus with the vision that God has for this church. 
I want to see it happen. And the devil's furious. He's ferocious. He's angry because he knows he's not winning. And he's not going to win. If you read the back of the book, it's obvious he's not going to win. That just makes him matter. So what we got to do is get in focus with our vision. Get in focus with it. Get active with your vision. If that happened, I'm telling you, we'll, you know, when things are not happening, we don't have much to talk about. Our church gets together, you, all you can talk about what medicines you take and, you know, how uncomfortable my bed is and where I hurt. I can't hardly get up, can't hardly walk, especially old people. Others of you, you'll talk about your new gadget. Oh, I got a Z13025-A1 new phone. <laughs> well, I don't have the A1, but I got the Z036VV203. And it's smaller than your phone. Yours is faster than mine, but mine's smaller than you. And we talk about gadgets. But when we get on the same page and we have things happening in the church, you know what we're talking about? We're not talking about gadgets. We're not talking about health. We're, not ta we're talking about what a mighty God we serve. We're talking about what's happening at church. We're talking about how many people got the Holy Ghost. How many got baptized in Jesus' name. We're talking about backsliders coming home. And that's what we got to get to. Get our vision back active. Somebody say, I want that, Brother Gandhi. I believe that. I believe that with you. Is anybody going to say it with me? I believe that with you. I believe that with you. And I think that's the key to our church at this point. Right now, I believe that's the key. Getting our vision active. Because you got it. God's told some of you folks things. He's spoken to you. Through the word, uh, preachers have come here and there's been prophecies go forth. You have been spoken. God's spoken to some of you in prayer. And you know what God can do. But we've let our vision get very distorted. We've gone to sleep. We're lullabied. We're not paying attention. I want my vision active. I want to be stirred up. I want to be fired up. And I'm praying God will fire Pastor Gandhi up. Because if I'm fired up, you'll be fired up. But don't wait on me to get fired up. 